You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Romans 14 is where we are today. Yeah, it, we were very intense on the first like nine chapters of Romans because that's where all the theology is at and it takes forever to dissect what Paul's saying. But then like the last six chapters are just like, hey, love you, hope you're doing well. So you zoom through them a little bit more <laughs> uh, or a little more practical advice. Uh, today's advice feels a little practical. I'd be interested as I'm preaching, always feel free to either interrupt me or raise your hand, ask questions or give comments. Um, try to make this communal here at 1208, but I'd be interested to hear some of your feedback as to how you would look at a passage like this in today's modern world. So one of the things I want you to remember as we are hopping into all of Romans 14, maybe even a little 15, like I said, a bit more reading, but um, one of the things I'd like you to remember is one of the big themes of Romans is that Paul sees the church becoming this multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-traditional, linguinal, linguinal? Is that a word? Lingual, that's the word. Multilingual. I took linguini. <laughs> and I turned it into a language. That's a delicious language. Uh... I forgot what I was talking Right. Church is becoming multiracial. Now, when that happens, especially back then, you're probably going to run into a bunch of different traditions, a bunch of different ways of living that people were not used to breaking those barriers on. Like, we still deal with racism today. Imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago. The church was at the forefront of abolishing this idea of racism. I mean, Paul at one point was just a zealous Jewish man running around trying to really maintain uh, everything that he saw to be Jewish. And then God pops him one. I don't know how to say that. Blinds him. Says, bro, you got it all wrong. You're not following me. You're trying to follow me, but you're completely missing me at the same time. God corrects Paul, and Paul goes from there to make his entire life mission to be an apostle to... The Gentiles, the nations, all the different ethnicities, all the different races. And so Paul's job is literally to break racism down, to run to all these different places of people that look different than him, act different than him, have different cultures than him, and tell them, look, uh, I'm a part of God's family, and I've learned that he has opened the door to all races, all ethnicities. Leave your gods behind. Come and follow my God. The door is wide open. And people start doing that. And so the church is not just people who are Jewish who are now uh, coming into the fulfillment of the Messiah, but it's also people with tons of different backgrounds and traditions. And that makes it a little messy sometimes, especially when you're used to your traditions, right? Right? I mean, how many times have churches tried to get together, but then they start squabbling and fighting over some kind of minute detail that really didn't have to tear them apart? We do that today still. And Paul saw things like that happening in his time. And, and here's what he had to say as he looks at, at the Jews and Gentiles fighting and he looks at the Jews and Jews fighting. He sees all the different arguments going on. And this is what he says to them. 
As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We'll pause right there already. Paul's talking about vegetarians. What's going on here? Help me out here. What you see, Addison, you're the vegetarian. Give me the professional expert advice. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, okay. So in ancient times, uh, well, okay, let's talk about our times. We occasionally run into eth- ethical problems with meat, right? I mean, the way that it gets prepared or the way that it's treated, the way that animals are treated, things like that. We have lots of ethics around meat now where we aim to buy things like cage-free eggs where chickens have been able to sit down for once in their life and that they weren't just treated as a piece of meat or uh, the slaughterhouses need to have way better ethics than the ones they do, things like this. Like, that's important to us. And so when we look at those kind of ethics, we say that's, that stuff isn't right. That's not how we treat animals. We've got to be better than that. Most of us aren't so good as to say I won't eat those anymore, but we're at least good enough to say I won't treat those like that anymore. Uh, in ancient times, they had their own ethic, and a lot of it had to do with religious stuff. Because what was food? Food in ancient times was a religious thing. Food was usually a sacrifice made to some kind of god somewhere, and then it was uh, cut up and sold in the market. Or it was treated in a way that it wasn't supposed to be treated for someone who was a good Jew trying to follow the law, and they suddenly couldn't eat it because who knows what they did, all the people who prepared it, how many times they broke all the rules. So if you were trying to maintain the Jewish law, then you might be afraid of eating some of this food, and you would aim to just be a vegetarian to avoid all the ethical problems, all the religious ethical problems. Likewise, let's say your meat did get sacrificed to a god somewhere like Now we're trying to avoid all the religious ethical problems like, I I don't want to eat that now. So they might just become a vegetarian in order to avoid all that. Okay, any questions, thoughts, following, tracking? So Paul's looking at that one, but here's one of the things that Paul knows at this point, because Jesus has said it in the Gospels, and then Peter himself saw a vision of this, where God made it clear in Jesus and said, all foods are clean. Jesus said it doesn't matter what goes into your belly. It matters what comes out of your belly. It's not what we eat. It's how we treat others as it's vomited out on them. That was a pleasant way of saying it. Um, so Jesus says, like, that's, that's the importance when it comes to the way that we act. And then Peter has a vision at one point in Acts where he sees a whole... <laughs> a whole blanket lowered of all these different meats that he's not supposed to eat. You remember this vision? And he says, God, why are all these unclean foods here? And, and Jesus is like, take up and eat, Peter. He's like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. But the thing that Peter realizes in that moment is, okay, God has deemed that all foods are clean now, that that is now a non-issue in the faith within Jesus. And God had to break that one down hard because... For the early Christian church, which was primarily made of of Jewish people, 
that was, that was a big sticking issue throughout their whole life. Sticking issue, not stinking issue. <laughs> it was a big sticking issue throughout, throughout their life. And this is the next time that like, food dietary laws have changed. What were the dietary laws in the garden? You remember? Garden of Eden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need any of the fruit, vegetables, just stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it seems like they're generally vegetarians at this point. You don't see anybody like that. You wouldn't have this kind of like violence even within the animal kingdom, within kind of this Edenic worldview that they're trying to paint. But then we sin and the whole thing falls apart. Once we move forward a little bit, what happens after Noah's time? Yeah. Uh, God tells Noah, okay, we're starting over. I'm restarting Eden. Here you are. I'm giving you the same mission I gave Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, do these things. But I'm going to give one concession this time. Now you can eat meat. And so you see a, a change in dietary laws at that point. The New Testament has its own change in dietary laws. Where God lowers this blanket of animals and tells Peter, it's okay now. He doesn't want Peter to be separated by looking at people of other cultures and thinking that they're lesser than him or that they can't be saved because of dietary restrictions. For Jesus, this was a non-issue kind of issue. And that was hard for Peter. You remember the story? Paul literally calls Peter out at one point (laughs) for going to eat with uh, his Jewish brothers and sisters and leaving the Gentiles. Like, Paul sees Peter at a lunch table when the cool kids come up. (laughs) He's like, what are you doing over there? Come eat with us. And Peter leaves them behind and uh, leaves the Gentiles at their table. And Paul really reams him for that one. Peter, dude, what are you doing? Like the whole point is we're bringing all the nations together. So you see, it's, it's hard for them to break down those walls and to live appropriately. So right from the get-go, Paul looks at this issue of eating meat. And for him, he's like, you know what? I rest in what Jesus said. It's okay now. That has been let go. And that's fine. Uh, But then he realizes some people are still going to continue to be vegetarians for their own ethical reasons. And you know what he says to that? That's fine too. He looks at this and says, this is not something to squabble about. Now in Romans, we have seen plenty of times where Paul squabbles about some issues. There are some things that he says, like, this is non-negotiable. Right at the beginning, he's like, here's the kinds of things that we do that will take us to hell. And then towards the end, he's like, here's the kind of things that we do will take us to hell. So obviously, Paul's not just saying like, it doesn't really matter what you think or what you do. None of it's a big deal. But in this particular case, Paul looks at the church and says, this is not something to fight about. Think about that. Think about that. That's where I'm curious. Does anybody have any ideas like in the church today? Are there things where it's like, why are you fighting about that? You're really going to let that separate you? Think about that. If you have a good answer, we'll come back to it. Uh, continue verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while others esteem all days alike. He's probably talking about holidays right there. You've got Gentiles coming in. They have all their different kinds of holidays, and now they're probably being told don't celebrate those anymore, or those days aren't special. Celebrate our days, things like that. And Paul's like, this is an issue? Let's not even worry about how people treat a day. Okay? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
He sees that people are convicted on both sides. And he's not worried about who's right and who's wrong. Oh, that conviction's right. The other one's wrong. No, he just says, no, somehow your conviction on both sides makes you equally right. That'll mess with your head. (laughs) Right? I see that you are two opposite extremes of each other. But because you're convicted about it and you do this because you want to honor Jesus, it's okay. Interesting. Uh, for none of us, verse 7, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again. And he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So Paul does pause here as well, and recognize like our judgment against each other on these things. Like What really matters is, Paul just said it earlier in this chapter, how do we love our master? Because if our conviction works between us and our master, like that's, that's what matters the most, not, not so much how someone else is going to judge us for, for our convictions on these. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does does not proceed from faith is sin. So here you have Paul also recognizing the dynamics between our convictions. Like if this vegetarian over here who's abstaining from food because he doesn't want it to be polluted by idols sees someone who's cool with food eating, like they have to find a way to balance that out. And it may be that the one who's eating just has to, you know what, I won't do this around you. I can see how that bothers you and and upsets your conscience. And I understand that. We all have moments where we do things like that, right? Where we find ourselves in a social setting and we realize that the people around us find a certain mannerism improper. And so we decide to abstain from it within that setting. I would say that's kind of what Paul's getting at right here. That like there's no reason to fight about these things. And if it's really hurting someone around you, you need to find a way to be able to reconcile that. Uh, And oftentimes it's to let go of our judgment. Uh, I've got some friends um, who love to smoke cigars and drink alcohol and 
I don't care. <laughs> I don't do either of those things, but I don't care either. And one of the things that they find very uh, nice about me is that they don't feel judged about that when they do it. Um, and so that's one of the ways in which, like, though we're on, com- on different sides of this, uh, I'm not here to make you feel uncomfortable about those kinds of things. I'm just here to hang out and be a friend. And sometimes that's hard to do, especially when we get into some really deeper convictions. In that particular case, I, I'm not worried about it. But there are other times where, like, I have to be careful as to what's uh, going through my mind because I'm in a situation that makes me feel a lot more uncomfortable. How can we act the way that Paul's calling us to act in those situations? That becomes part of the question. First, start at 15, then we're done. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Paul saw a multicultural church coming together. He had been a huge part of the reason a multicultural church and movement was created in the first place. And now he was calling this multicultural church to be peaceful with one another. I think just reflecting on that fact alone, like that, that hurts into today. That, that this was 2,000 years ago. And that the very basis of the church is born out of a non-racism. And yet tomorrow we've got Martin Luther King Day, a day created in recent memory that reminds us of the struggle that is still real even into today of racism. Now within just a past few decades, someone might see someone of another color walking down the road and just walk over and decide to kill them. And that their only distinguishing factor to do such a heinous thing would be because of the way someone looks. And you'd think that the church would continue to get better from that, but we just spent two years of a pandemic still fighting about racism. What is it? Is it real? Is it a big deal? Is all that. Like we still, even into today, can't admit those things to ourselves. We have entire denominations started because we can't get together on the small issues and agree to disagree. We have entire uh, um, churches split by race because we all together say we like our way better and we're not going to try to cooperate with one another. And then we continue to fight about if racism even exists. I mean... You wonder if Paul were to come back today, if he would just kind of lose it with us. Uh, 2,000 years ago, he started a movement to try to get rid of petty things and to try to bring together big changes, and that we still haven't figured it out. 
And so maybe we can let that convict us today. Maybe we can let that continue to work in our souls. Uh, Maybe we can keep giving ourselves over to the Holy Spirit so that he can grow fruit in us and he can teach us what things are not worth squabbling over and what things are major issues that we need to address because they're roots of sin in our lives. For Paul, he looked at this food issue and he's like, do what you want. It doesn't matter. You're both right. Then on the other side, he's calling everyone to break down their walls of racism and bring it together. Get it together. Love one another. Now that's what like the last three chapters of Romans are all about. Get it together, church. <laughs> Stop squabbling and love one another. That was what last week was, right? Paul just calling the church to love one another. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus said it. Paul said it. The whole Bible says it. In Revelation, when we're writing to the church in Ephesus, Jesus himself just calls them right out. I see the good things you've done. I've seen your works. I've seen the way that you do A, B, C, D. But I have one critique, one thing I hold against you. You do not love like you used to love. And for us, we'd be thinking, oh, okay. So we can love a little better. That's not too big of a deal. We could do that. It was a huge deal for Jesus, though. He told that same church, if you can't get this together, Ephesus, I will take your lampstand from you. I don't know if he's saying, I will uh, take your church from you, since the lampstand represented a church, or if he's saying that there's a special anointing upon Ephesus, and I will take that anointing from you. But one way or another, Jesus saw this lack of the love that they used to have, And he he told Ephesus there would be a consequence if they didn't get it together and love better. Guess what? There's no church in Ephesus today. In fact, as far as we know, there's no Christians in Ephesus today. If they're there, they're hiding. Ephesus was this huge place where God was doing great things. Councils were held there. But it's not there anymore. The lampstand is gone. And so Paul writes to another lampstand, this this church in Rome, calls them to love, to get it together, to not get caught up in racism, to not get caught up in squabbling about little things, to love, love, love. And I think that's a message that we need to grab on today as well, especially in light of recent events, especially in light of thinking about... uh, Um, tomorrow how can we continue to yield ourselves to Christ so that we can be the church that he calls us to be that is that is the question let me pray for you Jesus throughout my life there have been a hundred things that I have fought people on that were non-issues even today certainly there are some things that are non-issues that I fight about Convict me of those things and let me let them go that I might repent of those. But then, Jesus, there are also these huge issues, uh, walls that I put up um, that either I'm not supposed to put up that you call me to bring down. Or things that we need to call out that we're too afraid to call out because we don't want to hurt feelings. And Paul was able to do both. Because the church 
Not only is your bride whom you love, but you discipline those you love, is what your word says. So if we truly are going to become what we need to be, occasionally you're going to lie down the law with us. Just like we do with children to help them know what's right and wrong. So we give ourselves to you. We receive your uh, gentle nudges, your gentle love, your gentle discipline to become what you call us to be. Take us, mold us into what you need us to be. Just now.